You're listening to the Liverpool Comedy Quota, the only EU-ratified comedy podcast in the city with me, your host, Jay Burnley. In this month's special May edition, or as Theresa May would call it, the April edition, we celebrate the world of wrestling and comedy and find they have more in common than you think. Liverpool Comedy Quota. To be the man, you gotta beat the man, and I'm saying, woo! But first up, the Quota News with Nino Nino. Hello, I'm Nino Nino, and here's your quote of news. After disastrous results in the local elections for the coalition, David Cameron promised focus, delivery and more hard work. Apparently the work will be done voluntarily, he'll deliver the public sector to private companies, and it's all in the pronunciation over how he's going to focus. X Factor Talisa scored a number one hit with the single Young, where she seems to apologise for previous incidents. Critics have said it's a song that everyone will be humming along to. There was a bitter taste left in her mouth though, as former judge Danny Minogue was upset with Talisa, as she believed that she's had to do worse to get ahead in the music world. Roy Hodgson is the New England football manager and less than one day into the job he was mocked by Wapping's finest for having a slight speech impediment. In the spirit of a group who have problems spelling words in one language, that Roy can say in five we'd like to thank the Rankers. And that was your quota of news. In this month's quota we bring you 30% Steve first. Legend. 20% my dad and his deep passage. Loose in the head. 20% Sully O'Sullivan. The man behind the panel was drunk. And 30% Jim Smallman. Why are you wearing a suit? Providing you with 100%. And I know thoroughbreds when I see them, ladies and gentlemen, the four horsemen. First up is the Crane Prince of Cabaret, the Monte Pulciano Mauler, the Putney Panther. He is the reigning beige king of comedy. His regency, Steve First. <laughs> Joining me on the line uh, is uh, Mr. Steve First. Um, you might know him from the Orange Adverts, uh, The Legend of Dick and Dom, and uh, panellist on The Right Stuff, and Lenny Bage as well. Thank you for coming on the show. No, thank you. Uh, uh, so, so, so you've, you've got a new project. Um, you're doing, you're doing um, a new... Is it a series? It's a, a full series? Or well, is it? we hope it's going to be a series. We did the pilot of it nearly... <laughs> in fact, over a year ago. Um, and uh, but we're now having a big push on it, so we're hoping that I mean, but in fact, there's a lot of movement in America about it at the moment. So um, we are we're currently in this kind of waiting period, but uh, yeah. there's a lot of heat on it now at the moment. Bizarrely, that's how I found out about it. I, there was um, I, I follow a wrestler called um, Steve, uh, William Regal uh, on Twitter, right. and he actually mentioned it on his Twitter feed. Uh, ah. Okay. And uh, he's, he's a WWE wrestler, uh, so he's, even he's mentioning it. So it is bizarre that I've found out through there and, uh, and now I'm talking to you about it. So it's, it's called What Like a Panther. It uh, is. Uh, and it's about wrestlers who were around in the 70s and 80s, is it? Well, yeah, mainly the 80s. And, you know, after 86, when they stopped showing wrestling or, you know, at lunchtime on World of Sport, yeah. uh, these guys kind of went into decline a little bit and, you know, a few of them still wrestle, but they've kind of got normal jobs and they've Yeah. 
and the cast is incredible. I mean, there's um, Stevie Graham from This Is England. Yeah. Um, Tom Meehan from Kasabian making his acting debut. Yeah. Um, Sean Pertwee, Jill Halfpenny. Andrew Schofield. Uh, yeah. Uh, Drew Schofield is just... And the lovely thing about uh, about Drew Schofield being in it is that he was one of the last to be cast and he basically discovered Stevie Graham when he was when he was kind of in some little Amdram production. Yeah. So now he's got he's got talent mm. and helped nurture them. And they'd never worked together. All right. Um, so it was like there's on set romance as well, <laughs> uh, and they're playing father and son in the show. So it's kind of really quite beautiful as well. Oh, fantastic! We're the bo- both Liverpool lads, and uh, Steve, Stevie Graham, he's he's a component at the moment, isn't he? In, uh, he's just gone back out to start series three. Uh, no, no, he's, in fact, he's filming. He's filming. He's filming in Birkenhead at the moment. A little movie. All right. With Mark Strong, uh, I think for another couple of weeks, and then he goes out to um, uh, back to New York to do the third series of Boardwalk Empire. So, yeah, I don't worry about how much that boy works. He, uh, <laughs> you know, he, 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 although he did have a very tough year after this is England, but now he's he's, he's flying. Yeah, so so were you into wrestling? Did you, did you know the background story? Did you watch World of Sport when you... Loved it, absolutely loved it. And uh, Dan, Dan, who wrote and directed it, yeah. he had the idea when... I mean, he too was... He's a bit younger than me, but mm. he, he was obsessed by it. And I put on a wrestling... A couple of wrestling nights in London about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, 12 years ago. Oh, right. Uh, and I kind of promoted it and, and uh, compared it as my... Alter ego Lenny Beige and, and Dan came down to it, yeah. And uh, we became mates, and he he always had this idea to do this kind of show, and uh, and he's written it and directed it, and he's it's brilliant. And you've, you've got actual, I, I seem to believe that you've got some old school wrestlers in it, like uh, Mike Rollerball Rocco. Did he? Yeah, was he featuring it? Mark's not in it so much. He, what right. they've done is he's lent his. I mean, he did the fight, the little fight sequence in it. Yeah, and he's. Um, and he's very much lent his his kind of weight to it, and you know, within that's how big wrestlers are, are tweeting about it because he's made sure that you know that, that you know that we're not kind of taking the mix, and yeah, and, and he's become a really good mate now. Which you know, when I was growing up, the man was a legend. I mean, he is a legend, really. Mm. Well, uh, bizarrely, uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to get in touch with you as well is my, my dad used to be a wrestler and he used to sort of hang around with those kind of people like Mick oh, McManus. Really? So, yeah, I, if I'd have gone into it, I would have been a second-generation wrestler, but <laughs> I, I didn't. <laughs> no, honestly, they, you see the, the condition a lot of them are in yeah. later in life. It's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, also, did you get to meet with um, some of the newer wrestlers as well? I, I read somewhere that you, you saw some of the TNA wrestlers or you went to meet we with did them. Go, I didn't. Well, we kind of met a couple of them. Dan went down to film uh, Hulk Hogan and a couple of the others. In fact, he filmed Hulk and Rhoda Ball yeah. having a little reunion because mm. um, they were tag partners for a little bit way back. So um, there's a. I think what, what I think what would happen is that we would. I mean, the idea of going to America with it is great to combine both worlds as well. The kind of slightly crappy British North of mm. England wrestling with <laughs> the glamour of, and the jealousy that that has with uh, you know. There was an amazing documentary years ago about Robbie Brookside. Yeah, well, he's a, he's a mate of the um, William Regal guy who um, I think they, okay. they they wrestled together. That was the one. So that was the one when he went out to uh, Florida. Yeah. At the end of the documentary, of course, there's this beautiful, you know, 
I mean, you know, he's trying to keep his chin up, um, <laughs> thinking, you know, I've got to go back to wrestling gymnasiums in the north of Germany, you know, whilst, whilst he's, he's made from driving around in a convertible Porsche in Florida. But, mm. you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so uh, I always believe that uh, comedians want to be singers, and singers want to be comedians, and everybody wants to be a wrestler. Uh, so there's a, there was a, a sort of mixture of those kind of people on there. I mean, um, Tom from Kasabian. Yeah. Um, th- were you all sort of bouncing off each other in terms of, uh, you know, was he asking you stuff about comedy and were you and are the actors as well with it? And how did that how did that relationship all work? Well, the thing is, I mean, about uh, because it was all kind of in family. One of our exec producers, Johnny, is was Kasabian's manager. Yeah. So he got Tom involved, and Serge has written the music for it as well. All right. He's done a lovely re, uh, recording of The Littlest Hobo at the end, which sounds like Bob Dylan. <laughs> um, and it's just because all the wrestlers start singing it on the coach as we're leaving Leeds. <laughs> and because um, Stevie sees a little uh, Alsatian dog chasing mm. some leaves, and then he starts singing it, and everyone starts singing it, and then it goes into Serge's version. It's lovely. <laughs> So for someone like Tom, it was you know yeah he's kind of fascinated by the whole acting thing yeah. and you know uh, and of course you know me doing Lenny is I've always wanted to be uh, you know I've always wanted to be a frontman yeah and I like how those worlds kind of collide. In fact, a few months after we finished, we uh, I did a big gig in London at the Hundred Club yeah and Tom came down and sang with me and we in fact we did a version of. Um, well, like a panther. Like a panther, yeah. Yeah, I think I've, I've, I've just watched that on YouTube just before oh, I came out. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. I love that song anyway. I've got, I've got it's this single. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. I know, it's a really <laughs> underestimated song. I'm, I'm actually tempted now to go out this Saturday in Liverpool and, and try and find it on a karaoke somewhere. Nice. Uh, and have a crack. <laughs> nice. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> so, so you're still doing uh, Lenny Bays regularly then? Or? Not as regularly as I'd want because it's a very expensive show to do because I've got the band and guests and so forth. And I'm about to start, I'm about to open in the West End in Matilda. All right. Um, playing the dad, uh, and ironically taking over from Paul Kay, who himself is yeah. someone who's, you know, Dennis Penis. Yeah, and, yeah. and he, and he, and in fact, he's got a band, the Mike Strutter band. So, you know, we all have this other dual life because you know we're all, you know, we're all fascinated by wanting to be uh, singers as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we talked about Lenny Beige and talked about What Like a Panther. You've also worked on um, a lot, quite a lot of stuff. Uh, you worked on the late edition as well with with Marcus Brig- Brigstock. I did for years, yeah. And I was, yeah. was going to ask you, um, how, how come we haven't got, because that was the closest that I think we've got to having something like The Daily Show over there. How, how come that's, do you think that's not well, really taken off? Yeah, we, we said that as well. That was, you know, we were unashamed about wanting to make our version of it. Yeah. And um, we've got the 10 o'clock show, I suppose, on Channel 4, but it's, it doesn't quite have the same feel, and I think yeah. there's something about Marcus being Marcus. It was, there was there's no one as good as him mm. doing that, and we did it for four years on and off. But it was BBC Four, and we were doing it live as well. And by the end, you just like we were trying to get a BBC Two repeat, yeah. and they were dragging their heels, and then they just went, oh, you know, then they kind of turned their nose up at it a bit because mm. they had um, Mop the Week, although it was nothing like Mop the Week. Yeah. So we felt a bit hard done by, and I think Marcus just went, you know what, I've had enough of doing it and not being appreciated by the BBC. Mm. Um, so we stopped, um, which was a big shame, because I'd love to still do that. Yeah, well, it looked like you had fun on that, because you, you oh, got yeah. to do a lot of different characters and voices and stuff. Is exactly. It, is, is, is that is that you started out? Is that Were you doing lots of just impersonations, or was it straight stand-up where you got into it? I started doing stand-up for a couple of years, and then didn't, didn't enjoy it, and then yeah. stopped. 
and then promoted nightclubs for, for a while. Really weird nightclubs where I made no money. <laughs> then I invented Lenny Beige and then started doing a like, huge cabaret club in London in the late 90s. And uh, I did a couple of series for the BBC of him and a Channel 4 show, and then I stopped and moved into just doing, you know, acting, acting. The Lenny Bay seemed seemed huge for a while as well. You know, there was the, the you had so many guests, uh, yeah. Robbie Williams and people like that, uh, who seemed to love it. And then it, I, I, I actually saw you up in Liverpool at the Neptune Theatre. Bloody hell, yeah! Ages, God, I'm at that gig. Yeah. Ages, ages and ages and ages ago. I was, I'll tell you when that was. It would have been ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah, right about that. I've just come up to university and right. <laughs> I was sat on my own. Um, <laughs> oh, it was a good gig, actually. I, I enjoyed that. It was a lovely little I, 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 I seem to remember. Did you finish on uh, The Sun and the Rain by Madness? Yeah, bloody hell, you got the memory. There's the yeah. memory. You know what? I've been, yeah. I've been thinking about that for ages because I, I, I didn't know if you did finish on it because you do Spin and Wheel and, and songs yeah, like yeah, that as well. Yeah, so. I just had a piano player. That was a perfect song. So, mm. you know, and I didn't really use many backing tracks, so it was always about you know what would work with the piano. Mm. Um, yes, that's right. If I try Stadium, but yeah, it was it was Saturday night in Liverpool. Yeah, oh, it was a great show. <laughs> no, I love doing it. But the thing is, you know, once again, you're like, we, you know, we did these two series for what has become BBC Three, BBC yeah. Choice back then, and then the new commissioning editor arrives and went, no, I don't want to recommission that. <laughs> and then you end up just going, well, okay. Uh, and then it kind of goes off the boil a little bit, and because I didn't have the right representation, it wasn't being pushed. Yeah. And, and before you know it, you haven't been on telly for twelve years, and you know, as Lenny, anyway. Yeah. So, which is a shame because I really, I'm much better at doing them now. And the older I become, the more, you know, the more believable it becomes. Yeah. So, but it's a lovely string to my bow, and it's nice to kind of pick that up every once. In you know, is it still is it is it still quite big then in London? Because this this is the thing being up in up the north end is that sometimes things don't tour up here in terms of you know like you're saying it's it's quite a big it can be a big ask to bring uh, orchestras and stuff up. But um, well, if you haven't got TV exposure, yeah. pointless. All oh, right, so you know, I mean, I'm always getting little messages or tweets or from, from people from you know Manchester or Liverpool or wherever or Scotland, mm. um, you know, who remember him, but. You know, unless you've got the TV exposure and a big promoter to push it, it's just pointless doing it. Is, is that the same for sort of festivals like Edinburgh and, and things like that as well? Yeah, it is now just because cost. you know Edinburgh's just become so expensive and so big. And if you do it, you've got to do the full month. Yeah. And you know, before you know it, you're you know you're you're in debt to the tune of you know five to ten grand. Mm. So, so as, as well as Matilda, is there anything that you're looking at, at sort of doing, uh, developing other characters or, or anything like um, that? Or? I was doing a character on the circuit uh, toward the end of the year who was an ex-stuntman uh, <laughs> called Dave Pike, mm. who was quite a dark character. And uh, I enjoyed doing that, although I have to say the audiences were very young and only wanted, you know, the, the comedy's become a little bit homogenized and a little bit yeah. predictable and dull and I don't want to be you know too moaning about it but there are some great clubs that you can do where they love new stuff and love characters and yeah. a bit of oddness but generally you but know on certain nights they just want mob gags and uh, <laughs> it's a little bit tired so so just to go back to um, what like a panther then is there any kind of sort of time scale that you, you, you know of that, that well you know what do a series takes a long time. Yeah. 
and I'm signed to Matilda for a while. So and I was a bit like, oh, God, what's going to happen with Panther? And the likelihood is we wouldn't be shooting for another year. All oh, right, okay. You know, that, he, that, that's just the way these things go, you know, I mean, things... Because we've got to work around people's availability as well. Yeah. Well, um, if, if Steve's doing the, all his little films in board, at Boardwalk... Uh, uh, yeah, um, exactly, and Tom touring and all the rest of it, and he's having... Tom's missus is having a baby, and, you know, so all of these things come into play, and... Um, Idris has, uh, Elvis got involved in it. Yeah, I read that. It's just the, the, the whole cast and the whole sort of production team just seems insane, isn't it? amazing. Yeah, uh, it is. Insane. This is why they were saying, because Dan's just got your phone, he called me today, he just got back from LA, and he had two weeks of meetings in LA, and he said the only, the only question these guys was, were asking, you know, they loved it, and they liked the fact that it's Northern, it's English, and all the rest of it, but it was, they just couldn't believe it hadn't been picked up yet. Mm. Um, and, I mean, there are boring, boring reasons. Fantastic. Mm. All right, Steve. Uh, thanks a lot for thanks a lot for that. Thanks for uh, for uh, chatting to us. No problem. Thanks for asking. Steve is currently starring as Mr. Wormwood in Matilda the Musical in London's Cambridge Theatre, and is a regular guest on Channel 5's The Right Stuff. To find out more about What Like a Panther, go to www.whatlikeapanther.tv uh, and make sure you follow them on Twitter at TV Panther and help them get on TV. Because uh, if BBC Three can have the whole channel, then this show deserves at least a series. As you may have heard me say in that interview, my dad was a wrestler, and seeing as every comedian seems to be using their parents' material, who am I not to jump on the bandwagon? Before we introduce a new segment where we look at my dad's deep passage, I had a chat with him about his time on the UK wrestling circuit of the 60s and 70s. Curtis Lashley, nice to uh, have you on my show, Dad. Well, you're welcome. Uh, you're welcome, son. You know, I do anything for you. Uh, but one of the reasons I got you on the show uh, is that you were actually a wrestler back, uh, back in back in the day. When did when did that start? Then? Um, well, it started in 1967, uh, 66, 67, and uh, what it was, I had a friend that lived on the next street to us. He was called. Um, Bunny, we used to call him Bunny, and um, he bought a motorcycle, and um, I've always wanted a motorcycle, so I um, managed to save up with money, and I uh, used to go and look at this motorcycle every night on Manchester Road, a uh, bike, bike shop, and when I eventually got enough, I went and bought a bike, and then a few months later, he came back and said that he was, ri he was riding somewhere down um, Hollywood. And there's a wrestling club down there. Would I fancy coming down with him? Not that I wanted to wrestle, mm. but would I just come along with him? So anyhow, we went along, and before I knew it, I was next to the ring. And then he turned and said to the um, one of the guys that was organising it, "Oh, he is a good wrestler. I've never done the thing in my life before. This I fought when I played cricket, but I never <laughs> saw like had to fight <laughs> <laughs> wrestling." Anyway, we started and um, we used to fight um, 
Well, the Northwest and mm. Hall's just uh, doing things for churches to get money and things like that. Mm. Um, I remember one night um, we went down to to wrestle, and uh, it was the motorway goes over this place now because they've knocked the houses down the training the training place. And um, where was that? This was at Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah, and. Um, my dad said that he would come down and watch. I didn't want him to come to watch, but he said he would do. Anyhow, um, what started happening was the the guy got um, when we were being introduced. You know, it's, it wasn't uh, no eyes, no eyes gouging, no hair pulling or anything like that. He just wanted a proper serious fight. And uh, the guy got the towel that I was supposed to wipe with and swung it and hit me in the eye. And uh, my dad didn't like that. So my dad got up out of his seat and stood next to the ring. I couldn't understand why he was stood there, but he was stood next to the ring. And then, um, as I as we started bouting, uh, the guy threw me to the floor. I got back up, and before I got back up, he gave me a backhander, that knocked me over. And the next thing you know is there was four of us in the ring. Me, the guy I was fighting, the referee, and my dad. My dad took his his uh, jacket off and went to the wrestler. Come on, come on, don't hit him, hit me. <laughs> and uh, there was it was quite hilarious, really, because they had a struggle getting him out the ring. And um, needless to say, I, I never told him when I was going to when I was going to go again. <laughs> it was quite embarrassing, really. So, so you get you got to see some of the um, the old school sort of world of sport wrestlers. Yeah. Were you still around at that point when it was being televised? And well, that was during that period when it was being televised. But we had a guy called um, Dame Curtis that he used to organise the fights. And um, I remember one night we was going to go to Solihull, and um, I was getting a lift there to Solihull because we were fighting some hall somewhere. And um, I went to a place called Glodic Baths to have a swim before I went off and um, I don't know what came over me I just don't know what happened but um, I dived in at the shallow end <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd crack my head open as a matter of fact I thought I'd crack the bottom of the, the bath <laughs> with the tiles run and when I floated back to the top I couldn't see and then when I got to the side I got lifted out and I got to the side this guy said to me, what the bloody hell are you doing that for? <laughs> I said, I thought I was at the other end. He said, well, no, you weren't. You were at this end. And, you know, a big lump came up in the front of my head. And uh, I still went to the, the match. And uh, I got kicked on it. I got it rubbed in the floor. <laughs> I got so everything happened. But it was a good fight. Did you win? And I won. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Tell us some about some of the characters in in wrestling. I mean, there's a, a lot of um, been talking in this show about a lot of crossovers between comedy and uh, wrestling. But who who do you remember from back in the days that was funny or on uh, in or out of the ring? Um, it was Mick McManus. Did you work with him? No, I didn't work with him, but he was a bit of a bully guy. The one that I found funny most of all was uh, he was called Les Les Kelly Les Kelly mm. he was very good 
he was a showman. But, but, but in terms of your own performance as well, were you trying to sort of did you play uh, up to the crowd in terms of comedy, or were you sort of like a, he a heel? Or well, I I played we played up to the crowd because um, because Bonnie Leo mm. Leo Griffiths he was called. He went to America and he joined the Marines, I think. Anyway, um, he uh, we we used to come on as the Black Aces, mm. and um, we came came on not speaking any English whatsoever, and um, we made it out that we couldn't understand, we could not understand English, and um, the mere fact that we couldn't understand English and we was foreign, fr foreigners from Oldham. <laughs> we um, we would go. I would go to the referee. I was pointing at myself. What are we doing? And um, that got the crowds. And uh, wherever we went, and we performed like that, the crowds loved us. Mm. They didn't love the white guys. <laughs> and the white guys just treated us awful and in the end we were the ones who won mm. we're the ones who beat the crap out of them <laughs> and um, I remember once um, as I got into the ring this guy came over and pushed me down this was a, a, a bout up by myself and um, this lady got up and she had an umbrella and when his bum came around this she shoved the umbrella right up his shorts <laughs> She had to be restrained. <laughs> uh, so you found it fun then? You found the whole experience? Yes, I found the whole experience fun and I found it, it kept me fit. And um, even to this day, I mean, I'm not as supple as I used to be, but I reckon that if I got three or four weeks training, I think I could come back and hammer the lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, might, I might keep that in mind. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I get that in line with it when I need training to get in the ring. Give him yeah. a manager. Um, I used to train with a, a chap that owned um, a club in Oldham. It was called the Sands Club, and then it changed its name to Dreamers. He was called Len Withy, and his brother also. Well, it was quite good. We enjoyed it. Mm. We kept us fit, and then we would we would train in the gym. And the next stop was the pub, so all <laughs> all that we uh, burnt off, we put back on in in a matter of fifteen minutes. It was quite good. I liked it and does I enjoyed it, it. Does it take a special kind of mentality to be a wrestler as well, in terms of humour and sort of aggression? And you got to be a showman. Yeah, you got to be a showman. You got to be a showman. Um, you got to have good timing, mm. really good timing. Uh, you got to be a showman, and you got to be. I think you got to be a little bit uh, loose in the head, <laughs> because that's what my mother told me. That there must be something wrong with my head to go into a ring and get beaten up by somebody that I didn't know, and for no apparent reason at all. <laughs> she didn't like the idea, and I came back home with a broken finger that I still got to this day. Not that one. Mm. This is for radio. People want to see that. <laughs> was it radio? Yeah. I thought it was TV. Yeah, that's why I'm recording you on this. Oh, that's why we're showing my finger. Yeah. All oh, right, okay. That's the second time I've done that. I see. <laughs> and um, I came home and I had to hide the damaged finger from my mother. 
because um, she wouldn't allow it to happen ever again if I showed her how broken my finger. But uh, my dad kept it quiet as well. But he was never invited back to anywhere any fun because he gets he gets a little bit involved and uh, he doesn't want to see his son getting beaten up. So he jumped in to help me. I wish he hadn't. I wish he hadn't. Cheers, <laughs> right, Dad. And now for the first time, let's enter my dad's deep passage. It's sexual, baby. Right. And I want to give it all to you. Yeah, right on. The Ballad of Dave and Crystal by Mick Foley. From Mankind, Have a Nice Day. A Tale of Blood and Sweat Socks. His day was lost, he was playing lacrosse. He had nothing else better to do. But he came to his home to answer his phone, and the voice of Bob Wayman came through. He said, I've got a notion, let's go to the ocean. He can ride those big waves. We'll have some fun. We're leaving at one. What do you say to it, Dave? And if it's alright with you, there's someone else too to go to this trip we're planning. It isn't just Sean who will bore you till dawn, but a pretty female companion. She looked so good on the beach that Dave could not speak. She was wearing a nice white bikini. And the look of the suit on her body so smooth sent a tingle right down his big weenie. So that was my dad's first, my first ever Dad's Deep Passage. Um, if you uh, that's from Mick Foley, Mick Foley's first book. Uh, if you want to see Mick Foley, there is um, back in the UK at the end of this year for the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, it's the first time at the Edinburgh Festival. He, he's at the Assembly Rooms from the 8th to the 11th of August. Uh, it's called Prisoner of Raw and tickets £15. Our next guest recently supported Steve Hughes at the last of the house on the UK tour, but he's also featured uh, for the support for Mick Foley when he was over there doing his comedy. He is the thunder from down under and to the right a bit, the current extreme improv champion of the world, SOS Sully O'Sullivan. Uh, on the line, we've got Sully O'Sullivan. Thanks for coming on the show, Sully. No worries. Uh, <laughs> just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, just for the listeners uh, who uh, are meeting you for the first time. Um, so, where, where did you get started in comedy? And um... uh, I got started in comedy, well, too long ago to mention now, um, but I started in Wellington, New Zealand, and when I started stand-up in Wellington, Wellington had one gig once a week for the entire city, and I know that for a fact because I was booking the gig. Um, <laughs> So it's a uh, you know it's, it's a big difference from moving uh, even from Wellington to Auckland and then more so from uh, starting to do gigs overseas in Canada, northwest of the US, uh, and then winding up in the UK. So and you've and you've you've done loads and loads of different countries as well, haven't you? Um, and so it, it, I think it says the uh, UAE, uh, Canada, uh, Europe, every, everywhere. Like Where, where's the favourite place you've ever ever done? What, what country do you like, or is it is it here? Um, I've got it? to admit, I'm quite keen to go back and do more gigs in Croatia. Uh, I did a run of four cities last year. Um, and uh, I mean, every overseas gig is different. They they all have a different feel, a different bent. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes, for instance, in the UAE, you're playing to largely expat audiences. 
So you play, you know, you're literally you'll be 80% British in the audience. Whereas when yeah. you're playing in Croatia, um, you're lucky if there's a Brit in the audience. <laughs> um, and and but, but, you know, if, if you're looking for a unique experience, that's uh, that, that's what you're after. Do they do they actually get it? Do they obviously can they understand quite a lot of the stuff that you do in English, or is it? Well, well I mean, um, naturally for most of the Englishes. Uh, most definitely the second language, um, yeah. and and it will vary in how proficient they are. Um, but with those particular uh, with those particular gigs, they are billed as uh, that they run under the name London Calling. Um, yeah. The idea is that they are a London style stand up gig, yeah. um, and and so they're um uh, uh, they're, they're, what they're looking for is, is, is precisely that kind of thing. So yeah. even if they're not getting all of it, they're on the edge of their seat trying to get as much as they possibly can. Well, you, you've got obviously got a background in uh, improv as well, um, so it might, might, might have been a bit easier for you to, to cope with that. Um, but you do, you do uh, or you have done, uh, extreme improv. Uh, where, did, where did that come about from? Oh, right. Uh, well, extreme improv, uh, basically, I mean, there's a lot of different forms of improv out there. I mean, often when people think improv, they choose lines anyway, um, yeah. which is, you know, what they sometimes call bar prob or ultra short form improv or gag prob. It's, you know, it's all about, just about the comedy. You've also got long forms of improv. Um, yeah. And I was always one for experimenting with new ones. Uh, and we had a show uh, that was very successful back home uh, called X-Prov, um, Extreme Improvised Comedy. And basically it was uh, old school improv games, but with a bit more of an adventurous twist. Um, for instance, uh, you know, old school and prop games such as a blindfold thing where the performers were blindfolded. Mm. Uh, except we would do it barefoot with mouse traps and rat traps covering the floor <laughs> uh, just for that you know, little extra little extra incentive. And didn't you come close to drowning a couple of times in that as well? Uh, sorry, did I come across? Close, close to drowning. I remember you telling me a story once about you being suspended upside down in a tank of water. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, yeah, there was a near drowning incident. Um, <laughs> um, um, that, that is one thing with... Uh, Comedians get distracted really easily. <laughs> um, and for instance, with, uh, with uh, X-Prol, uh, we purposely had a, a troupe uh, with people from more than one discipline. We had um, a couple of stand-ups, we had people with an improv background, people with a street background. Uh, you yeah. might well know him as a boy with tape on his face. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, even a trained stuntman, um, because you <laughs> do need those street skills in there to make sure everybody's safe comedy but you know there, there's another aspect to it at that point yeah. you know it's not just a case of i might die on stage you know no you, you might actually die on stage um <laughs> and yeah uh, there was uh, once where uh, the, the performers i was working with they they got a little bit distracted and uh stopped paying attention to what they're doing and what they were doing was uh well involved me being underwater <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to be doing that again at any point in the future uh, well, we'll just see. I mean, one thing with shows like that is, um, you know, that they are quite intensive. Yeah. Um, with with stand-up, um, uh, you well know, it's one man behind a microphone or, yeah. or, a, couple of, or, or a couple of people behind a microphone, dependingly. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's less, you know, literally labor-intensive. Um, whereas with a show like x um yeah, you've you got to make sure, you know, in terms of safety and so forth, you've got to make sure your props are rigged right as well. Mm. Um we did, um, we did make one error. I made one error um, <laughs> in a particular scene. Um, it was uh, a sandwich scene that involved performers switching positions and roles, uh, yeah. you know, when a buzzer goes. Um, but we had added in a bunch of random uh, clear shots to the scene, and every time the performers switched, they took a shot. Um, and it was just unlucky that uh, Richard Carrington, 
uh, managed to pretty much get all the ones that were filled with tequila or vodka. Um, <laughs> now, that would have been fine. Um, you wouldn't be the first person to be drunk on stage at a comedy show. Uh, <laughs> in the next scene, uh, Rich had the control of the uh, panel that uh, was wired up to Benjamin Krillin. Um, and so when Benjamin was getting electrocuted, um, well, the man behind the panel was drunk. Um, I couldn't work out why Benjamin was such a, in such a bad mood after <laughs> because we'd, well, fried the hell out of him. <laughs> yeah, what other influ- inf- comedy influences have you had on your career? I mean, coming from New Zealand, is there, is there a thriving com- uh, comedy scene over there now? Or? Um, well, I mean, the, the comedy scene everywhere has... Um, uh, expanded, and, and I do mean everywhere, uh, mm. by all accounts, not that I've been over, it's really taking off in India right now. Yeah. Um, the Comedy Store, um, uh, they have three venues, London, Manchester, and Mumbai. Um, <laughs> so the comedy uh, scene everywhere has expanded, um, and the comedy industry, uh, and the reason I use that phrase, uh, comedy industry, is no one used to use it. Uh, <laughs> they had comedy, but no one had thought of putting the word industry on the end. Yeah. Um, but now with the proliferation of stand-up, particularly over the last sort of five years, uh, yeah, it is very much uh, an industry. Does it does it feel like a business to you? Is it a bit? Is it losing a bit of its its fun, or is it still kind of fun for it, depending on how you how you deliver it? I'm, I suppose. Well, I mean, it's it, it, it's never going to be a, a normal job. Um, however, it is your vocation, um, and you are self-employed, and all the trappings of self-employment go with that. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it's. Um, you, you don't want to ever to turn into a into a nine to five. Some of us uh, became entertainers because we didn't want to do it nine to five. Yeah. Um, so you never want to turn into that. Um, but are there business aspects that you have to be aware of? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and um, you, you've also uh, been doing a, a recent tour. Well, uh, you were on some of the, the, the tour for uh, Mick Foley. Mick Foley came over the WWE uh, wrestler. Yeah, that's right. Um, I before, uh, I've uh, supported Mick twice now. Uh, once in Manchester um, and once down in Birmingham. Um, and uh, I, that, that was fun. Um, now, we're only doing, uh, it has a couple of support acts, so we're only doing very short slots uh, yeah. uh, by our usual standards. Um, but literally 80% of the material I was doing uh, was wrestling related. And, and, and for that matter, I just realised for any of, the, uh, any of the audience out there who uh, don't know who Mick Foley is, he's often referred to as the hardcore legend, <laughs> former. WWE heavyweight champion, a man who's missing two thirds of an ear from a barbed wire match in Japan, so uh, he does have some stories to tell. Um, <laughs> but we were playing to uh, venues that had sold out way in advance, and mm. 80% of the material I was doing was wrestling related, and so had never been performed in front of any audience before because there's nowhere to get that. Yeah. Um, uh, and so that was uh, that was a fun and very unique experience to walk out in front of a sold out venue, uh, knowing that you were uh, doing 80% material that had never, ever been tried or tested. Uh, and both, both gigs were a blast. How did, how did you find it? Was it, was it fun to do? And, and how, many, how many comedians do you know that like wrestling? Because near enough, everybody I've spoke to recently seems yeah, to it's, love it's, it. Yeah, it's <laughs> a strange thing. I mean, uh, wrestling is often seen in the course as a bit geeky. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the, end of the day, it's, uh, it is a performance style. It's one of the most bizarre performance styles you can possibly imagine. Mm. Um, you know, you do have two guys uh, pretending to fight um, uh, when, in fact, they're working in unison. Uh, it's got a bit of a pacto feel about it because there's certain chants the audience will do at certain times. Yeah. Um, there's this weird sort of uh, in-ring, out-of-ring areas of performance. I mean, you might be a great in-ring performer, but if you're, you're no good on a microphone, then that will hamper your wrestling career. So it's such a... I think part of the reason that it, uh, comedians... Um, 
are often corporate wrestling fans, is that it's such a strange performance style, and also has a lot of um, parallels mm. in terms of the industry. Uh, when wrestlers are starting out, they are driving all over their their home country, uh, you know, doing spots for next to nothing, possibly to gas money, possibly less. Yeah. Uh, and stand up is very much the same in that respect. And, and hopefully along the way, they build things up, they get better at what they do, they get noticed. Um, and, uh, you know, their profile increases, and get, you know, and, and, and stand up the same. So who, who's your favourite wrestler then? Oh, uh, favourite <laughs> wrestler, tough call. I'd say uh, favourite tag team uh, at the moment. Uh, if we ever really see them together again, would be the Mother City Machine Guns. Oh, uh, yeah. Who work in impact wrestling? Saban. Uh, always be a big fan of tag team wrestling. Um, uh, but uh, of course, CM Punk's doing some very interesting stuff in terms of uh, uh, promos uh, over the last 12 months. You know, the uh, slightly confusing promos where you know did have people guessing as to whether it was uh, whether it was fake, whether it was real, whether yeah. it was fake, as they say. Um, so you know, all, all that kind of. Uh, uh, again, a bit like stand up the um, the mushy fourth wall we sometimes see. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, theatre theatre has a fourth wall. Stand up wrestling, not really, kind of, but kind of not. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and another one of those weird parallels that makes uh, makes that particular type of performance so interesting. I think. Yeah. So if if we want to catch up with anything that you're doing, is there any if can, um, Facebook, Twitter, or or websites? Uh, yeah. Or well, I mean, uh, let's see. Uh, the Twitter account. Uh, what's your mind? Just started using. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the last couple of months is uh, Sully underscore O'Sullivan. Um, the uh, the Facebook uh, is uh, simply forward slash Sully O'Sullivan. Uh, the website's about to get uh, rebuilt. Uh, hey. Together there at the moment, or actually point you anywhere, but uh, that's uh, sullyosullivan.com, and uh, that will be going back online in the next couple of months. Ah, fantastic! Thanks a lot for that, Sully. No worries, mate. Cheers. Cheers. And finally, you may have heard our next guest on the last show, but this time he's back for revenge, live via satellite. He is progress, because to be the man, you've got to beat small man. Jim, the Tatooligan Smallman. So, um, for the second part of our, our uh, interview with Jim Smallman, we welcome Jim Smallman back, obviously. <laughs> Thanks. Hooray! Hey. You, <laughs> <laughs> you probably did. You probably went away for a week, but now I'm back. Yeah, it's the magic of radio. Just pretend yeah. that I'm not still interviewing you from the first part, uh, and this is like I phoned you up again. Um, <laughs> so, we talked last time about This Is Progress, um, and now, now we're going to do a little bit more about the other stuff that you do, uh, because you've got a great show uh, that I watch near enough every time that you do it on YouTube, which is The Slam. Uh, yeah, it's for a channel called Sports for Night Live. Yeah, and I was, I was doing stuff for them based around football. So I'm a big football fan. And then one day I went in and went, I really like wrestling. And one of the producers went, Yeah, so do I. And we pitched the idea of doing a, a wrestling related show for them. And now it's one of their most watched shows, which, <laughs> is, which it just proves that you know there's a lot of wrestling fans out there. When we first pitched it to the management there, they were like, you, you, You're serious? People like wrestling? Like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot of people. I, I, I wonder about this. I, is it because the wrestling fans, when they were kids, they went through university and it was seen as sort of like a bad thing to like wrestling and now we're all like thir- mid-30s and we go, we don't care anymore. We don't care if people know that we're wrestling fans. Uh, is, is that why there's this kind of renaissance in wrestling? I think it's, I think it's a badge of honour. I mean, if you're a stand-up comedian, it's, mm. 
something you like wrestling because you've pretty much already nailed your nerd flags <laughs> to the mask. It's like, uh, yeah, it's, I do stand-up comedy. Yeah, I was bullied at school. Yeah, I had no mates. And now I do stand-up. I tell jokes <laughs> for a living, deal with it. Right? So it's not like it's not like it's that much of a departure for yeah. me to stand on stage and, and, you know, talk about wrestling as I have done in the past. And, it, it, I, you know, I think among comedians, it's fine. I mean, what's what I've been finding out through doing the slam when I'm sort of, like, booking guests for it is the amount of people that you don't realise like wrestling mm. is, is bizarre. Like, I, I met Lethal Bizzle the other <laughs> week. Kidding. doing something completely different. And he's the nicest man, massive wrestling fan, huge wrestling fan. And he's like, oh, I want to come on your wrestling show. And it's like, okay, well, Lethal Bizzle. Um, <laughs> I did read right. that on your Twitter feed, and I was thinking, surely not. Not the yeah. Lethal Bizzle. Um, <laughs> didn't you borrow some clothes off him or something? Um, he's, yeah, he's given me some clothes in his Dench clothing line because he, he liked me tattoos. And, and we got on. So, <laughs> I, you know, I've invited him to the Progress show because he lives around there. He's coming to that. Oh, um, fantastic. Yeah, he's just, he's, he's so nice, but massively, massively interesting. And not in that kind of, not in a post-ironic kind of, well, you know, I, I kind of like it, but I'm, I'm too cool to really enjoy it on a, yeah. you know, on a, on a deep philosophical level. He's like, oh, no, I love it. I've watched <laughs> it since I was a kid, and I've never stopped watching it. But, Get right, him. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is, is, who's, who's the biggest wrestling fan, you reckon, in the comedy world? Apart uh, from yourself, Burns. is it definitely? I've seen I've seen pictures of him where he was at WrestleMania, and he, does he work out as if he's a wrestler as well? He seems quite muscly. No, he's Australian. They're all like that. Oh I right, mean, okay. Yeah, <laughs> Australians basically they can all eat competitively, um, and they're all it's just it's in their genes. I mean, I don't know if Brendan plays any sport, but I bet if he did, he'd be better than me and you. He's Australian. So, <laughs> That's the way it works. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean he's such a big wrestling fan that I he came on the slam with me. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm mates with him, but he's one of my heroes. You know, he's he's fantastic. Fan. He's one of Perrier and everything. So he's he's one of my heroes. I get him on, and we just sit talking about wrestling. He's like an excited kid. And then he started <laughs> saying to me, oh, I've got a spare ticket for WrestleMania. You should go. And I'm like, oh, I can't really. And then he spent the last few weeks trying to talk me into it. Then when I was supporting Mick Foley, he came along to two of the shows with me and ended up supporting Mick as well. Mm. That makes it my best day ever <laughs> my comedy hero and my one of my all-time heroes in the same room with me <laughs> it's tremendous so we it gets to a point where it, because i've introduced him to mick he just keeps, keeps going the ticket's yours it's free you can have it so now i'm going to wrestlemania because of brendan burns oh, fantastic. Um, <laughs> and the best is he's one of the luckiest blokes in the world because his wife who is lovely one of the nicest people i've met she is also a massive wrestling fan oh. um and yeah brilliant you can't you know that's the sort of happiness that a man that cool deserves to have <laughs> <laughs> so you got you're going to wrestlemania um yeah. what's what's gonna what's the, the the um what's the the match that you're looking forward to the most i know which one uh, mine is but i'm chris jericho sample yep that's uh, the one <laughs> is, is because it will be the best match yes um indeed. it'll be a brilliant match i think seamus daniel bryan will be a good match but it'll be buried probably first on the card well, there's this, so this talk about Jericho and Punk opening the show at the moment. From what, from what I've read off 411 Mania. <laughs> That's, this is what I, I do in a moment. I, I, would, I would, wouldn't be surprised that I think they know that Punk's incredibly popular. I mean, Punk's the biggest face of the company. He's, mm. bigger, he's the biggest face than, than John Cena because everyone likes him. There's very few people who dislike Punk. Mm. Whereas, you know, Cena splits the crowd 50-50. Yeah. So, you know, I think what they'll probably do is they'll probably have Seamus Daniel Bryan open and Seamus will win the title to start 
the crowd off fairly hot. Yeah. I mean, it, it'd be nice if they had some kind of money in the bank ladder match to try and start things off, but unfortunately, we've got that horrible 12 man tag team match, which will be atrocious. Ooh. It will be. It will be atrocious. <laughs> Featuring Teddy Long's dancing, hopefully. Yeah, oh, God. Teddy Long, a man who. You know, you look at someone and think, why are you wearing a suit? <laughs> you know, why? I mean, at least Lauren Itis looks like he should wear a suit. <laughs> I mean, he did look terrible when he, wore, when he wore leggings to wrestle the other week, though. Yeah, he just, he just, no. You know, <laughs> just, I don't, I just don't get it. Also, he's not aged well, Teddy Long. I remember when he was quite young and was managing, you know, Doom. teams in WCW. Yeah, oh. Doom in particular. Oh, fantastic times. Uh, and, so... um, and, yeah, and it was like, yeah, you know, you can, you can carry that off. And now it's like he's aged 50 years in the space of 20. <laughs> but, but, say, but saying that, you're, you're what, are you 33 now? Yeah. And you're, you're, you have heard that you're, you're training to wrestle? Yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to. Because through <laughs> doing the slam, um, uh, there's a couple of wrestlers we have on quite regularly. Uh, Jimmy Havoc, British deathmatch wrestler, who's yeah. actually very well trained and does uh, Lucha Britannia as well. Yeah. Um, as a character called El Transmexico. <laughs> um, who's half man, half woman, um, <laughs> and wrestles in a tutu. Uh, he's brilliant. He's a good lad. And um, and as a, a lady wrestler called Rhea O'Reilly, who we got on the slam. Oh yeah, I, see, I, see, I saw her uh, on one of the yeah. shows. He's... And um, and you know she's been trained by Lance Storm, and she's over in Canada wrestling at the moment. Yeah. And they both said, "Well, we'll train you." So I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> and I've agreed to do it. I'm like, I've always wanted to do it, and I don't. I don't want to be a wrestler. I, I like comedy too much. Comedy mm. would win yeah. between comedy and wrestling, but only just. <laughs> um, I must stress, only just. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see me ever doing it as a job, but I'm quite happy to have a match or two. I'll be a manager and just get thrown through something. <laughs> did you get to look cool? Did you get to see the wrestling um, when it was on in Edinburgh last year? Um, do you know what? It was one night when my agent went to it, and I couldn't go because I was in, despite knowing pretty much everyone who was involved in it, yeah. I couldn't go because I was comparing late and live that oh. night, which was on at the same time. Um, it, and I, I couldn't afford to not compare late and live. Yeah. And it was, I was gutted. I was gutted that I couldn't go because everyone I know who went along had a, a good time. Apart from Max Aleska, because obviously he broke his ankle. Yeah. But it, I, I would have loved to have seen it. Just because, I mean, you know, it's, it, it, it is the, the marrying of my two worlds really. If they do it again, I'm obviously available to do it, and I'm going to be pushing for that this year when I'm in Edinburgh. Well, do it again. part of my student student life, I went and uh, did one day's worth of wrestling training in Sheffield, yeah. I think it was, for Hammerlock, uh, and uh, I came, what I came away with was that it was it was quite physical and a bruised coccyx, uh, yeah. and I couldn't sit down properly for about the best part of three years. Um, yeah, but right. I'm dis- I would love to do it again, <laughs> just just to go on the wrestling. I want to get good at comedy and uh, just get good enough to be a comedian who can wrestle in the wrestling. It's well, so sad. That, you know, we could we could just we could just form our own comedians wrestling federation and just do touring shows. Well, you're you're you trying know. to you're trying to force Brooker to do it as well, aren't you? Well, Brooker's already doing training. Is he? And and this we were talking the other week because he does. You know, you know, a plank is where you have to sort of lie in position. Yeah. Um, to, to uh, exercise your abdominal muscles and your arms and that. Yeah. And we were talking on Facebook one night, and he went, oh, I've got to do my planks now. And I went, okay, nice euphemism. And then he went, no, I've got to, do, <laughs> I've got to hold in, in a position for, for a bit. I went, well, how long can you do? And he went, oh, I could do two minutes, but that's took me a year to get to. And I went, all right, yeah. Um, I'm just going to disappear for a minute. And he went, you're going to go and try and do it now, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, I'm <laughs> and I managed to do two minutes on my first go, and I remember that I'm actually quite fit. <laughs> uh, 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 
bike sitting in a car most of my time. And, uh, you know, I was sitting in a car driving somewhere. I was sitting on my backside writing stuff. I, you know, I spend, you know, all that time not exercising, but I am still vaguely fit. So, um, so yeah, so I'm hoping that I can get through the whole pain threshold thing. Mm. I'm all right with pain. And I know um, what I'm going to be doing when I get back home tonight. <laughs> I'll beat just that try and do it. Just look, look up Planker on, um, it's not Wackaday with Timmy Mallet, Planker <laughs> on, on the internet, and it shows you exactly how to do it. And it's literally just resting on your elbows in like a pressing position. Jeez. And you think, how hard can that be? You can do, I did three minutes on a TV program. <laughs> and the only reason I did that is because I was up against someone who was younger and fitter and better looking than me, and I wanted to beat him. <laughs> um, and there was no way I was losing to him. I didn't care. I didn't care if I ruptured my spleen. I wasn't losing to him because no, not on. Um, <laughs> Talking about younger, fitter, and better looking. Uh, you did support Mick Foley. That was the first time I met you. Uh, and uh, and it, I was, it was a, a, a massive moment in my life as well. It was what, what was that like for you in comedy terms? Watching Mick sort of learn the ropes in, in your world. Well, it's, it's, it was really odd because when I met you, it was in Nottingham, wasn't it? In yeah. November. Yeah. And and then you know Mick hadn't been. He'd probably done twenty, thirty gigs. And then when he came back for the tour this year, I supported him on three shows. So two shows in London and one in Birmingham. And after each gig, he will sit down with me and ask for feedback. Mm. Now, that's really weird. You know, <laughs> and, you know, he's been doing interviews where he's been saying that I'm one of his favourite comedians. That is insane. That, that is, for me, I mean, you yeah, can genuinely just shoot me now and I've pretty much had a good life. You know, <laughs> it, it's not, after one of the London gigs, I'm sat in a Chinese restaurant with, with Mick and with Brendan Burns. And, you know, I got a message on Twitter from Mick that night where he was saying, you know what, today's one of the best days I've ever had. And it's just like, oh, my God, this is so cool. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I, got, I told him I was going to WrestleMania, and he's like, oh, I'll have to meet up. He's like, you're my friend. Can't just meet up with you. <laughs> totally. Um, although, you know, I do have him tattooed on my arm. So that probably yeah. helps. That, that was, that was, that was uh, what I remember you talking about. You were showing it, your tats off. Yeah, at the time, you only had, uh, the one that stuck out for me was uh, Ron Burgundy, I yeah. think. Uh, but then, yeah. you, obviously, since then, you've, you've got him. Did he sign your arm as well? And you got yeah, that tattooed? He, well, he, he signed, um, I got to sign a piece of paper, and now the signature's, the signature's been shrunk down, and he's near my elbow. But, yeah, I've got um, Mick Foley in cactus, in classic cactus, Jack, bang, bang, pose, uh, the other side of my arm to, uh, to Ron Burgundy. And I'll be honest. When I was having it done, I did kind of regret the placing because it's painful on your arm. And secondly, the fact that I chose something with quite so much hair. There's a lot of beard uh, and a lot of hair. But my tattoo artist met him at the gig in Birmingham. She came along and he was, he was very complimentary of her work. But when we've been on stage, he's been winding me up about it and coming on stage when I show it to the audience and kicking me out of the venues and stuff like that. He thought it was creepy. Um, <laughs> So you, you, your Edinburgh, your Edinburgh show was Tertullian. Uh, it was, yeah, and, I, and, my, and my DVD as well. And, uh, your, and your DVD, which is available on your website, I'm guessing, on my which website. is, which yeah, is. Jimsmorman.com. There we go. <laughs> that. And, you, and your Twitter is. Uh, Twitter is at Jim Smallman, Yes. Uh, and Facebook, obviously, just type in Jim Smallman and stuff like yeah. that. And, uh, but you've got, are you preparing for Edinburgh this year as, as well? Have you got your yeah. forty words uh, and your hundred words and your all that kind of stuff done yet? Yeah, I'm doing that this week. Um, I've, got, I've had to come up with a, my names for my show this week. Because um, I did, last year I did a free show in the afternoon, which was about um, three audience, uh, three comedians and me giving the audience advice, <laughs> um, which uh, is called group therapy. So I'm doing 
doing that again in I did it as a free show last year. It's in the it's in the Tron this year yeah. uh, uh, at one o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm quite looking forward to that. It's a nice a nice way to start the day hanging out with my mates, being silly. And then my proper show this year, I'm in the Gilded Balloon again. Um, uh, is at half past four, and it's called Let's Be Friends. Oh. I've got enough friends, so I'm going to convince the audience to be my friends. Yeah, you haven't got enough friends, but I would say that the quality of your friends yeah, is quite high. Pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah, but still, at the same time, I, I, you know, I, I, it all comes about because what happens is because I'm single and 33 and don't really do a sensible job, yeah. and all my mates who don't do comedy are all settling down and having kids, and they're no longer allowed to play with me anymore because I'm a bad influence. <laughs> so the show's basically auditioning audiences to see if they're suitable to be my new friends. Um, it's very, very silly, and features me singing an Adele song. So <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, uh, so, yeah, yeah, audiences are either going to be completely enthralled and love me, uh, which is what I'm hoping for, or they're going to go away from it thinking I'm an incredibly sinister man. Uh, <laughs> which I suspect is the more likely outcome. Jim, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, hey, no uh, problem, mate. Uh, what we should, we should look out for? We'll look out for Slam on YouTube. What, what else? Progress uh, wrestling. Slam on YouTube. Best thing is, follow me on Twitter because then I just tell people all the good things I'm doing. There, so there you go. Moment on Twitter, and then I tell people when, I've, when the new episode of the Slam goes up, which is normally every week, uh, and I let people know where I'm touring about and all that jazz. Fantastic. Thanks a lot. Yeah, cheers, mate. Cheers, Jim. Ta-ra. Make sure you check out the next Progress Wrestling show. That's Chapter 2, The March of Progress, at progresswrestling.com on June the 24th. Uh, make sure you get tickets, go down there, it's, it's down in London, but it's not that like fast travel, it's normally on a Sunday as well, um, it is on a Sunday, uh, so you've got loads of time to get down there and back up again for work on Monday. Uh, you can also see Jim's show, uh, The Slam, on YouTube by typing in, typing in The Slam and Jim Smallman, uh, and he will be appearing at, uh, up in Edinburgh again um, with, with a one-man show, uh, so check that out. Uh, and by the way, I, I managed to do 60 seconds of planking, I'm, I'm a year older than him, that's my excuse. Thanks for listening to this extended crossover special, and to all our guests, Steve Fuss, my dad with his deep passage, Sully O'Sullivan, and Jim Smallman. You can see me MC his brand new stand-up night, uh, Flying the Loaf, called Laughing the Loaf, uh, the last Thursday of every month, uh, the next one being the 31st of May, doors at 7.30pm. And now that's all left to, left to do is hit my music. Can you dig it, dig it sucker? Sucker! sucker. <laughs>